Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Namaste, Yoga Revealed podcast community. This is Alec Vishal Rubin, here to welcome you back. Today, we are honored to share the deep thread of Ashtanga Yoga with you. Through highlighting Ralph Craig, an LA-based Ashtangi who teaches weekly Mysore classes at Yoga Works Montana. Ralph illuminates philosophical texts and many loaded terms we often find, demystifying much dogma that can surround our practice. He has a plethora of wisdom to share with us. The Yoga Sutra of Patanjali is where the term Ashtanga Yoga comes from. And in that text, Patanjali sets up the dynamic of practice as that, the practice of finding context, finding content, relating them to each other, seeing the emptiness of the two, and weaving that process over and over and over again. Sit back and dive deep into this visceral practice of yoga with Ralph Craig on the Yoga Revealed podcast. Namaste, Yoga Revealed podcast. This is Alec Vishal Rubin, and I'm so excited to be here with you today. We hope that the podcasts over the last several months have been providing insight and perhaps provoking thought for maybe what we think yoga is and how we're living it. And the people that we're bringing you not only are deep inspirations to myself and Andrew Seeley, co-founder of Yoga Revealed, but they're also incredibly dedicated individuals who live the thread of yoga within them and share it with the world as they move forward. So today I'm here in Los Angeles, California, sitting across from Mr. Ralph Craig. And he is someone who I met not too long ago, but we share a teacher and we share a community uh, in light of the Ashtanga Vinyasa lineage. Mr. Ralph Craig. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. For sitting across from me and sharing with us how yoga found you. Yes. I'm very happy to be here. Mm. How yoga found me. 
um, I was in school and I had just started to dance and I had never, I had asthma when I was a child and I, I had a basically a doctor's note out of any form <laughs> of physical existence, out of any form of physical activity and and uh, and I had asthma so badly that I was often hospitalized. I finished a year of um, middle school from the hospital. Um, so I, you know, I didn't really do anything physical in that way. And I was always an inside kid who liked to read. Hmm. So when I started to dance, my dance teacher thought that it would be helpful if I took yoga, but I kept declining. Not out of any particular, I didn't know anything about it. I just had no reason to do it. <laughs> and then in a mix-up, in a scheduling mix-up, uh, because she was also the teacher who took care of scheduling at the school. In a scheduling mix-up, I was placed into the yoga class. And I took the yoga class. And at the end of the term or semester, I was so enthralled by it that I asked the teacher, how could I continue on my own? And she wrote out a modified form of the Ashtanga Yoga Primary Series, which I didn't know at the time. And she told me to read a book by David Swinson. Um, and to see, so I did that and I kept practicing on my own. And then I did found out that a few years later, I found out that the guru of that practice was going to be in the States. And so I, I went to go practice with him. And the practice just grew from that, that little seed. Wow. How old were you? And who was this guru, for those who I, don't know? I was nine years old. What? And um, the teacher, not when I went to study with Patabi Joyce, who is the, was the uh, guru of Ashtanga Yoga. I was 15 when I met him. But I had started practicing Ashtanga when I was nine. And so for all those years, I just kept doing the little modified sequence that had been written out and then what I was finding in books and DVDs and things like mm. that. So I practiced on my own largely until I met him. And then after that, I was still largely on my own until, uh, until I was about 20 when I met uh, John Campbell. Now, I was probably 19 when I met John Campbell, who is a certified Ashtanga teacher and a professor at the University of Virginia and a, just a great, very compassionate teacher. And from there, I really began to uh, live the practice in a certain way. And then I started to assist him and started to teach because of him. And uh, also another teacher named Marco Rojas, who is in New York City, who taught me how to assist yoga hmm. and was the initial inspiration behind my learning how to teach. So that was the beginnings of my journey. And over the over time, over the years, I've had the great fortune to meet so many phenomenal teachers. Uh, and because of John Campbell, I met a, a teacher named Richard Freeman, mm. who Alec and I share. And from there, and then I met his wife, who really became mm. Mary Taylor, who really became you know, uh, both a mother figure and mm. an elder sister mm. figure and also a teacher on the path. So today, mainly my teachers are, you know, Richard and Mary. And I see Sharat whenever I can. Sharat is the grandson of Patabi Joyce and the current wow. lineage holder. 
So you've been practicing since you were nine? Yes. Wow, what a gift. And I've very rarely taken time off from practice, except the, probably the longest time I've ever taken off is currently uh, because I was injured in a car accident. And so my practice now is largely based around breathing and simple movements as I introduce, you know, asanas back into the mixture. If you don't mind what happened in your body and how have you uh, transmuted the psychological shit show that is injury? I so I was driving on my way to I teach the Mysore program. At, What's Mysore? Mysore is know. a way of practicing Ashtanga Yoga, and it is the traditional way of practicing Ashtanga Yoga in which students practice at their own pace, doing the practice that is appropriate to them, mm. and then the teacher moves about the room, adjusting, assisting, teaching the next steps, um, helping students to establish their own practice and to grow what they've already established. Mm. So I run a, a program like that at Yoga Works on Montana Avenue in here in Santa Monica, California. And I was on my way there one morning. Uh, this is about three weeks ago now. I was on my way to work when a, a, a woman making a last-minute left-hand turn slammed into my car and knocked me into the side of a building. So... I, you know, neck pain, my left shoulder, left arm, my right hand is still swollen. So bearing weight at the moment is very challenging um, and not really possible. So my how I've been dealing with it is, first of all, I'm a, I'm a Soka Gakkai Buddhist. So I, I chant twice a day every day. So that always gives me a way to kind of tap into myself and from a place of wisdom, determine what the next actions are going to be. So that's how I'm dealing with it, um, you know, psychologically and emotionally and mm. all of that. Physically, it's been a process of trying, just trying out different things. Uh, I, like I said, I can't bear weight. So a lot of the, the vinyasa practices of, you know, resetting the body via lifting the body off the ground and throw, jumping back and jumping forward and arm balances and handstands inversions a lot of those poses are not available to me at the moment but it's actually okay because now that i've been practicing for quite some time in, in the ashtanga system and i've had such great teachers and i feel very fortunate that i've been able to learn the yoga method which is beyond just the ability to do poses so I only felt frustration about, you know, the, the accident itself, but also, um, you know, I can't demonstrate things for students right now. Mm. And so now I rely on a lot of my, on the simplicity of, of Patabi Joyce's instructions, which were, had a great economy of language <laughs> and because English was his third or fourth language. And also a lot of my training in Iyengar yoga of, you know, learning to very specifically cue bodies instead of showing hmm. bodies. So that's how I've been dealing with it from a physical standpoint. And then as far as my own personal practice, you know, I haven't been able to do like a full series or something. Ashtanga yoga has 
seven different series of practice, six series of asana practice, and then a seventh series that is kind of an idea, more of an idea of approaching life in a certain way. And so I haven't been formally practicing the series of Ashtanga, but I've been sitting and concentrating on breathing. And then, as I said, simple movements of seeing what is available, you know, and discovering more than discovering what is available. I've been discovering a lot of what's not available. Yeah. So it's been very interesting. It was the first time I've had some kind of major forced uh, hiatus. hiatus from the asana practice. Mm. But luckily, the yoga never stops. <laughs> so, you know, it, I think now that's it's just, just a, such a beautiful reminder because I, I don't know if you recall, but I, I've been going through my own injury over the last several, almost year and a half from my own wrist and a left shoulder injury from snowboarding. Mm-hmm. And uh, the such super mindful movements are just amazing to be able to sit still. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, I think it's just the transcendence of you know, what we see yoga to be in this evolution of the modern age, you know, where in in the practice that uh, you've enveloped yourself in for so long, Mm. it's just, there's so many facets to look within. So thank you so much for the the gentle reminder that you bring forth despite challenge. Yes. And Mm. that opportunity it provides. Yes. So moving forward, there's so many things that I want, I want to talk about. I'm really excited. Um, Earlier in the interview, you said guru. And this word guru, I think, for me, my first relationship to the word, you know, I I was introduced to yoga through the vinyasa system. My first Mm -hmm. yoga class was at Core Power Yoga. And Mm -hmm. then I tasted that. And then I had tasting of Ashtanga Yoga with Mary Taylor and Richard Freeman at the yoga workshop in Boulder. And I was just like, wow, Mm -hmm. what is this new taste in my mouth? Because it's very different than everything else that I've seen. Mm -hmm. Um, And at that initial introduction to the yoga workshop, which is a studio in Boulder, Colorado, uh, the word guru had a new meaning and mm-hmm. a different uh, introduction, perhaps. It was reintroduced. Mm-hmm. So with that said, how do you feel people see the word guru outside of Ashtanga yoga and Nyangar yoga, which does have a more uh, thread connected to Krishnamacharya, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, then the word guru, which in maybe different societies or communities might be a little loaded. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean by that? Yes. Could you comment on that? Yes. Uh, I think outside of, you know, maybe we can talk about four different things. So there, there's guru as a cultural phenomena in India. And in that sense, right, any teacher is a guru. So on one level, guru is just another word for teacher in India. That's on one level. As a cultural phenomenon, so I would have great problems if someone else, if someone called me a guru, because that is not my culture, mm. and it is not something that we call a teacher in my culture. Mm. So there would be no reason to apply the term to me. Then, so that's one level. Then on another level, there is, as it's understood in maybe more traditional or pre, uh, pre-modern and modern yoga systems. And so Shanga yoga, Iyengar yoga, uh, these are, of course, modern yoga systems. So right now, we're of course, we're in the contemporary period and yoga is different now. But Ashtanga yoga and Iyengar yoga developed in during the 20th century. Right? So, in, so these are modern yoga systems. And there, the guru of Ashtanga yoga is a man named Sri Krishna Patabi Joyce. 
And the guru of Iyengar yoga was a man named uh, Sri BKS Iyengar. And so in those contexts, then, guru takes on this, this meaning inherent to its grammatical meaning, which is something that is heavy mm. or something that has gravity to it, something that draws you in. So initially, teachers like Patavi Joyce, BKS Iyengar, uh, the the legacy of teachers that they have left behind all kind of draw you in with the depth of their practice, knowledge, maybe even wisdom and experience of of the method being taught. And, and that's a very beautiful thing. Without that, the practice doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Then there is the a third level of the pra- of the word guru kind of popularly understood as any number of things like an, a fitness guru or a lifestyle guru or a uh, yoga guru I mean various terms that has made its way into popular culture and I think that's a, a bit silly maybe inevitable because of globalization and and the, the interaction of cultures but also silly because outside of a certain context you know, you're not a, a bike guru unless you are Indian and you've made biking your way of life. And the gravity of that practice draws people to you in such a way that they are then drawn back to themselves. Mm. So then that a fourth layer of meaning to guru is then one's true self. But we can easily jump the gun there because people, especially Western cultures and in particularly American culture, is this like, I am my own teacher thing. I am my own guru, you know, and then they find teachers and texts that say, you know, the, the, the guru is the true self. And then we jump the gun, but we forget about what the word self means in a lot of these traditions. And of course, from a Buddhist sense, the idea of self is either that there is none or that the self that you have is so expanded and interfaced with with the reality and the environment around you that it cannot be said to be necessarily simply yours. Hmm. And then of course, there's some philosophical systems in India that would say, well, the, the true self is maybe one with God and in that sense, broader than anything that you could just conceptualize. So in that sense, it's still not really yours right. to have. So then the true self, when we talk about the, the guru on this fourth level of, of your true self, then it's really talking about your expanded vision and capacity, which you can only truly have from your contact with a teacher. Because what a teacher, a, a guru, if you will, in that second sense that we talked mm-hmm. about, a guru can help you see, either be a mirror for you or help you see things that you couldn't see. Because the life of a human being, your life itself, is so vast and infinite. And of course, according to Buddhism, it's as vast and as infinite as the universe itself. All you're ever comprehending of it at any given moment is whatever limited conception of it you have. So today I'm a yoga teacher or I love these people in this circle or, 
or you know have this set of jobs or this set of responsibilities in the world but a guru can introduce to you simply other possibilities right and so in that sense a guru leads you to your true self because it begins a guru true teacher begins to lead you to ever more expanded visions of yourself you're the one having the visions and you're the one doing it no one can do that for you but what a teacher can do is help you open up those doors without that it is very easy to fall into ralphism <laughs> or alecism hmm. you know our own kind of intellectual philosophical systems that we create for ourselves that of course have us at their center and make us right more mm. often than not mm. you know so these four levels yeah you know just to kind of conclude that train of thought these four levels of you know guru of being a cultural phenomenon in india on the one hand also kind of contem- modern teachers like bks anger sri kapitabi joyce uh, the recently deceased Desika Char, who was mm-hmm. Krishnamacharya's son. Very recently. Very recently, and who was also who was a phenomenal teacher and and torchbearer for his father Krishnamacharya. So then the third sense of guru as a pop cultural phenomenon, and then this fourth sense of guru as your own true self. Mm. They all, I think, in some sense, maybe are are phases that we pass through as a practitioner. Mm. You know, on the, on the first, you start to study yoga, and then maybe you become interested in its cultural context and background. Yeah. So you start to hear about guru from that sense, and then maybe you begin practicing a yoga like Ashtanga yoga or Iyengar yoga, etc. Um, and so then you start to think about the, the lineage holder, the teacher is at the center of that lineage, at the epicenter of those lineages. Then maybe you start to, of course, maybe you go around other yoga students outside of your own tradition or something. And you start to hear of this like pop cultural phenomena of guru. And then maybe eventually, if you have a good teacher and you keep practicing, you get glimpses of your own true self. So these kind of four levels to the guru are very interesting, but I think the danger <laughs> is that we're talking about people. Yeah, We're talking about people first and foremost at the end of the day. So your teacher can be quite human. <laughs> and as, as our mutual teacher, Richard Freeman, is fond of saying, he's met many teachers who are painfully human. You know, there's many different obstacles to their own humanity. So, in that sense, you you immerse yourself, let yourself fall into the orbit of a good teacher. At the same time, you do your, your practice. You keep doing your own practice, which means you keep perspective on yourself. And I think between those two things, then you're much safer than just falling into like a, a cult of celebrity around a teacher. Removing the pedestal. Removing the pedestal, yeah. Hmm. And that is the danger with gurus, is that they get put on pedestals and that they sometimes put themselves on pedestals, or they begin to believe the pedestals that they've been put upon. And the very nature of 
of life and the human mind is that we're always putting people on pedestals and taking them down. <laughs> so if you find yourself as a teacher of yoga or meditation or some kind of quote unquote spiritual endeavor, hmm. and you find yourself put on a pedestal, at the end of the day, you can always make your meditation the understanding that eventually the people who put you on that pedestal will take you off of it. <laughs> so your your position is never quite stable. <laughs> and that is so... It's so Indian philosophy. So many schools of Indian philosophy. If you understand that, you can understand those philosophies because Indian philosophy is often the art of step of stepping onto a ground and exploring it only to find that there was never a ground there. And then it's just as you become comfortable with the idea that there was no ground you find ground again. <laughs> so it's always the Yoga Sutra of Patanjali mm. talks about this over and over and over again. The Yoga Sutra of Patanjali is where the term Ashtanga Yoga comes from. And in that text, Patanjali sets up the dynamic of practice as that, the practice of finding context, finding content, relating them to each other, seeing the emptiness of the two, and weaving that process over and over and over again. So that's why I'm saying this concept of guru is very Indian. It's wow. like Indian philosophy. Mm. You're often drawn into somebody's orbit, and then a good teacher, when they've seen that you've been drawn in enough to do some real practice, they usually they disappear for a while. Sometimes that's intentional. Sometimes it's just the way things go. You know, right when you're like, this is the time when I want my teacher to be here for me. They're gone. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so this constantly finding a stable ground, having it taken away, right? Rebuilding that stable ground, having it taken away again, oh. over and over and over again. In some sense, according to Buddhism, anyway, that is the rhythm of life. Hmm. You know, if you get used to that rhythm, then you learn to, to not just deal with it, but you learn to ride it. Mm. And then the obstacles that you have in your life become, you become like a surfer, you know? So I can't swim. A little factoid about myself. <laughs> I cannot swim. I'm not afraid of water, but I just never quite learned to swim. So when I see a 15-foot wall of water <laughs> coming at me, Nothing in me goes, wow, that's exciting. I'm like, go the other way. But a swimmer, a trained swimmer, or even more, even better, a surfer, a really good surfer, sees that 20-foot wall of water and says, this is what I've waited for. This is what I came out here for. So in some sense, these practices, like Buddhism and yoga and all of these different philosophies, in some sense... A lot of the endeavor of Eastern thought is training yourself to become good surfers mm. and good swimmers with the understanding that the obstacles will always arise. Always. And if you're strong enough to handle them, if you're a good surfer, then that wave is more than just tolerated. It is sought out, you know, like that. Wow. Thank you for demystifying <laughs> and illuminating the whole you know, loaded term, guru. Yeah. A few things came up for me. Let's see if I can remember them. Uh, one of the first is, you know, I loved how you were like, 
you know, the guru, the teacher, you know, once we, I love the idea of like going into their orbit, yeah. they hold a mirror for us to see ourselves. Something came up for me where, you know, I've got like, over the last few weeks, like my dear brother, Andrew, my big sister, Joe Castle, she's my roommate and a new sweet friend, Kaya and my best friend, Kiefer, you know, these are people who hold mirrors up for me to see myself a little more clearly. Mm-hmm. But for me, I don't really see them as, you know, guru. Cause I agree with that. It makes yeah. sense to me. Like it's not in our culture. Yeah. It just doesn't align. Yeah. But I, I see teachership in, in, in each, I try to see, uh, something to learn from my, my peers, mm-hmm. you know, despite any level of age or whatever, education, whatever, yoga studies, whatever it is. I think there's something to learn from each and every person. Mm-hmm. And I see them as a teacher. And that was just, I guess, a comment that came up. You know, mm-hmm. I see them as teacher just as much as Ty Landrum and Mary and Richard. I bow my head in total pranam that, you know, they're offering something of incredible value mm-hmm. to me. And then my second thought that arose was, you know, with the teach, the, the word guru, it's dense, it's heavy, it's heavy teachings. Yeah. Can you piggyback on that a little more? What about... This yoga practice, regardless of an individual, if they're coming to study with you, if they're going to study with uh, David Swenson, Tim Miller, these, you know, very uh, credible, well-practiced teachers and Mm -hmm. students, Mm -hmm. to me, those are really dense. That which, you know, you guys are going to offer, it's that's dense. You know, it's going to be heavy. I have an idea of what heavy teachings mean. What is the universal thread between all teachers that what we're offering of yoga to the communities of students what about this yoga practice and this yoga understanding what about it this is so dense and heavy i think the dense and heavy part of it is that it deals with the fundamental nature of life which is if we're talking about yoga Mm. right at the heart of that is this breath, body, and mind that you have. And in some sense, the teaching of yoga is that this is it. Even if there are other worlds out there, even if there are other lives, even if there are past lives and future lives and all this stuff, here and now, this is what you have to work with. This is the raw material that you have, this here, body, and mind. So because of that, you're dealing with the very nature of life itself. Hmm. You're dealing with the realest of the real, you know, which is you. It's your own breath, body, and mind. So then with that, I think, is the universal thread being woven through all these diverse teachers and practices. Then, so that's the universal thread. Hmm. But then when we look at it for what it practically is in real time, Well, they're very different teachers and they're very different practices out there, right? And even for myself, I, of course, do not put myself in the category of senior teachers because I'm not, Hmm. you know, like Tim Miller or Richard Freeman or Eddie Stern or Nancy Gilgoff or, you know, this person and that person. At the same time, because we're all people, we have our own particular angles that we emphasize in Mm. practice. So for myself, what I try and do in the room with students is make sure that the 
that the cornerstone of this practice is there. The specific way of breathing and moving, gazing, and holding your body and mind in a particular way. All right, so this is what's, what Patabi Joy is called, Tristana, which means the three places of attention. And that's an interesting term. Stana means to, to be established in. Right? It means to be like a pillar, stable. It's the same root as samastitihi, mm. the st in the middle, mm. um, etc. Terms like that meaning stability. So, and then, you know, three means two. Mm. I mean, it means three. Mm. Sorry, the number three. So, tristana, the three places of attention. I try and make sure that that's there in the room. And then how it looks, the form etc I'm very lenient on I feel by definition because if they've been studying with other teachers we all have our different places of emphasis mm -hmm. things that have worked for us things that experiences told us don't seem to work but the fascinating thing about human beings is that a lot works a lot of different things works for people yoga, Pilates, or this diet, or that diet, blah, 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 right? All these things can work. Hmm. So I think for myself, I find it not very, I find it's not very productive to be stuck on the form of things always. Hmm. Um, so then this heaviness that comes is because you're really dealing with something. It's not like I'm folding clothes. You know, it's not like I'm working in a retail store and I fold clothes and the clothes are not mine. I don't have any investment in clothes. I may have an investment in the brand and I may need my job, but I didn't make the clothes. You know, they're not mine. But my body and mind, how I think, how I feel, what I do with myself in space and time, well, those are all localized to myself. And the same is true for other people. So then to work with that, you're not just working with, to adjust somebody's arm, for example, in yoga pose. Well, it's not just an arm. This is the accumulated collection of their life. Their previous experiences being touched before. Their family histories, right? They're what in Buddhism we would call like their karma, right? And what in the yoga sutras, right? There are some scars, right? The patterns that they hold. All that is crystallized into this arm that you see mm. so to adjust somebody's arm is really to be adjusting their mind to be adjusting their life in some sense that lends a certain heaviness to it at the same time because there's always inhale and exhale light and dark right prana and apana there's always these binary patterns the where there's that intensity of gravity around a guru, if they're a good teacher, there's usually a substantial amount of humor there, too. You know, with Patabi Joyce and Sherrod and definitely with Richard Freeman, John Campbell, you know, Marco Rojas, teachers that I have had. There's, at heart, they're very funny people. But more than funny, there's a certain comicalness comical side to their life and teachings you know they, they have their mannerisms and their particular their particularities that you know because they're human beings so in the orbit of that gravity of that that heaviness mm -hmm. 
there's a, a point where it becomes light. And I think it becomes its lightest when you realize for yourself what the yoga is. And it is different for different people. Mm-hmm. However, yoga always has a point. All these different yoga systems have purposes to them. Sankalpa is probably the most important term a yoga student can learn. You know, what is your vision, your intention, your purpose behind the actions you take? Well, all yoga systems have that. And the closer you get to that purpose and the more you do your own practice in the orbit of a good teacher, the the lighter it becomes, you know, wow. to some degree. In my experience. Wow. Somebody, Thank you. Totally in my own opinion. So I find that one of the challenging, no, not challenging, the first few years of my practice, you know, I was in the vinyasa world of, um, you know, how you, the modern evolution, and I was just going to classes and going to classes, but I felt this deep, visceral uh, desire to study under someone who has this, like, lifelong dedication to cultivating mindfulness and awareness and practice. And, yeah. you know, at that point, Richard Freeman, Mary Taylor, and Ty Landrum, they were revealed into my life, and that was an incredible blessing. Mm. But I think that, that that took a long time of patience for me. Yeah. You know, what could you say to people who may feel like they don't have, they haven't found their teacher? Mm. Could you offer some words of, of faith, of wisdom, of support to that? Yeah. You know, chapter 2, verse 1 of mm. the Yoga Sutra says tapas swadhyaya ishwara pranidhanani kriya yogaha and that essentially means that the kriya yogaha the action of yoga the here maybe the practice of yoga is comprised of tapas an intensity of attitude and practice Hmm. Swadhyaya, to study the tradition. And Ishra Pranidhanani, which means to have a deep faith, a deep confidence in what what you're doing and the goal you're seeking. So for someone who doesn't have a teacher but is seeking that, I think that is timeless guidance to follow, to... Do whatever practice it is you are doing, even if that is just the vinyasa class on the yoga schedule. I don't do it. I don't enjoy it. But if it is what someone is doing, then to to practice, seek out opportunities to learn, to study things, and then to have as your intention to find a teacher. And they will find you and you will find them. There will be a meeting point, mm. you know. And and that may not be for life. The teachers that I've chosen, I've chosen for life. But that maybe isn't the thing to look for at first, because maybe one doesn't know. But if you're just clear that you're looking for a teacher, somebody you can really go deep with, they all good teachers are looking for good students right. too. <laughs> so now it's a question of these two searches 
meeting each other. Ah. Right? It's like old DSL. <laughs> you know, you have to plug in. And then once you plug in, that browser is there. You're connected. So I think that's what I would say for people who are maybe looking for a teacher or maybe thinking about finding a teacher. Mm. I would also say there's no, even though there's a lot of charisma out there, there's no, the magic is life itself. Huh. But there's no kind of secret person out there okay. waiting. So they're going to be people. And oftentimes your teacher aren't going to act as you hope they will, you know. Especially if they're a good teacher and their first concern and priority is not is not making you feel good, but in teaching you the method at hand, you might find them to be stricter than you had hoped or where you expect to be coddled, they may give you sternness. And where you expect or want some sternness, they might coddle you, etc. Like they will always be, because they're a person, never quite in in the box you want them to be in. So, for example, Richard, in my relationship with Richard, there have been, especially when I first met him, I just, I wanted him to like me, and I wanted, I wanted there to be a deep connection. (laughs) And so badly, because I had idolized this man for so many years, and I'd seen his videos, and read workshop reviews and anything I could get my hands on of his, I would. But there was nothing like when I met him. And he was just so kind and quiet and so himself, so so established in himself and deliberate that it definitely didn't calm me down because I'm rarely calmed down. But it definitely, it made me feel like I was taking part in something special. Hmm. And that special thing was my own practice. Because then I got to practice, so I met him, and we took a picture together and all this, and then then there came the, the three-hour workshop. And he had this way of placing you smack dab in the middle of your own experience. So it wasn't the Richards show, even though he has a way of teaching that is very unique to him. But you were always being cycled back to your own practice and the experiences you were having on the yoga mat. I think good teachers do that for people. Wow. uh, Or have the potential to do that for people. And those teachers are out there. And Mm. so if you're looking for that, it's they're probably looking for you too and wow. you will find them that sounds so amazing and i i definitely resonate with how mary and richard place you just straight in your experience okay. is that what you felt was one of the uh, primary themes when you took their month-long intensive how many years ago uh that was in 2012 what i felt I, they invited me to come out for their intensive. It's amazing. And I had never been to Boulder before, and I was very excited to just be around them. I didn't, the practice and everything, the yoga is always happening. I knew it was going to be good because the yoga is always happening. You know, by that I mean, I don't mean that in any smug way. I, I literally mean that 
if there's a body and a mind present, yoga will be happening. So I wasn't concerned about whether yoga would be happening, but I was very excited about getting to be with them and then meeting that community of students. And I met one of my closest friends in the yoga community, someone who is like a best friend, like a like a brother in some ways, uh, this guy who's in Salt Lake City, Sammy, uh, Sammy Brown who is now authorized, I believe. But, you know, so I got to meet people like that. And when I felt being there is that I was having the chance to to just participate mm-hmm. in something that's very deep mm-hmm. and profound, which yoga, Ashtanga yoga I can talk about is very deep and very profound. Other yoga systems, I haven't spent much time with them. And I don't have that much interest in them. Mm-hmm. But in the Ashtanga Yoga Method, I can say that it is very deep and is very intense. And it holds it holds up the mirror of your own body, breath, and mind to your own body, breath, and mind. Mm-hmm. So in that context, it was a phenomenal intensive. From And you got to see, you know, it's, it's five weeks. So you see... A lot of things happen. I passed out. I had a concussion. Oh, you know, Richard was running late one day and I got to see him for the first time that I had ever seen him be very visibly angry. Wow. And it's all, you know, it was life happening in that room for those couple hours. And I felt honestly the way I feel, the way I felt when I was a, a dancer, when I would dance professionally, mm-hmm. that that you that you step into a world on the when you so when you dance for example you step into a world on that stage likewise when that door closed you know at the yoga workshop and we all line up for practice and Richard comes to <laughs> and we line up and the door closes you step into another world for a second you know for that couple two hours, hours or your two and a half hours mm-hmm. or whatever you step into this orbit around Richard and around yourself. And it's a lot, it literally is an orbit. I mean, guru, guru as a term in India is also an astrological term for the, the gravity of planets and Jupiter having being so massive and having such gravity, right? It's a guru planet. So it's like your own orbit and the orbit of that teacher and they're happening at the same time. So you're revolving in the orbit of that teacher and you're revolving around yourself. And these two things are happening simultaneously. Mm. So that's what I felt when I was in Boulder. I Mm. felt like I was participating in something. I think it's so nourishing to hear you say how they reminded you that you were part of something incredibly special within your own practice. That to me is like super just touching and reminding us to the the gift that yoga provides for us and the gift of of being not to get too far afield but the gift of life you know it really is this if you think about it just thinking so what happened to the buddha on the night of his enlightenment under his tree a much a much debated fact but all the texts agree that in the first two watches of the night they're all are in agreement upon what happened right And in the first watch of the night, he sees his life throughout all the ages of the universe. 
and in himself in different life forms. There I was that person. There I was that tree. There I was this. There I was that. And in the second watch of the night, he sees that that process is universal, that it's true of all people. So if you think about it that way, and then you think about it very practically, like you have parents. So that I think our branch of the, of the ape tree, right, is about two million years old, right? Okay. And human society and civilization is for about 10, goes back to about 10,000 before the common era. Okay, so that means that going back and back and back, your parents have parents, have parents, have parents, have parents, have parents. Your lineage, your what in India is called a gotra, right? Your line, and that's where we get the word genes from. So your genetic makeup goes back so far into the history of this world, of this planet, of this universe. So that's a very special thing. When you take your seat you know, at the place of practice, when you roll out your yoga mat, when you interact with people, all of these things, they it's particular because it's you, but it also has this universal element of going back to, to time without beginning, there has been this life force present. So, and you are participating in that in a unique way right now, right? In a way that can't be recreated the whole universe has led to here, you know, that gives you a tremendous sense of agency and potential for appreciation. And many traditional yoga practices start with prayers or acknowledgments of appreciation for that very reason. Even the Ashtanga yoga tradition uh, starts with, you know, Vande Guru Nam Aravinde, I bow to the two feet of that teacher who, you know, is like a like a shaman, like a jungle physician, right? Removing the poison of cyclical existence, giving you knowledge about the, you know, swat masukava buddha, good the the knowledge about the good knowledge about the true self, mm. or the sweet knowledge about the, that mm. is the knowledge of the true self. So that appreciation, because then it goes back, you know, my teacher Richard, and then his teacher Patavi Joyce, and then his teacher Krishnamacharya, and then his blah 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 blah. All the way back. And if any link in the chain had been missing, it wouldn't be there. Even the unrelated links, like his mom and dad, or this person, that person. I think that's a very special thing. And if we keep it in mind, I think the practice isn't so shamefully austere. Mm. <laughs> you know, people can then, I think, can enjoy their practice. Instead of, I have the shift in my practice. Where I went from viewing my practice as Catholic penance for for sins committed <laughs> and began to really enjoy it for what it was, participation in myself, you know. I stopped. So before, I would practice, and many of my friends know this, I would practice, I would basically be like, break me, yeah. You know, any little pop or snap I would hear, I was like, yes, keep going. You know, and the tears from the intensity would flow, and I'd be like, yeah. Wow. And in our culture, we don't have that many, unless you're Jewish or maybe very an active Catholic, or maybe you have a quinceanera, right, or something, or maybe you're a Boy Scout. 
or something, or you have some native heritage, and maybe you get to do a, a vision quest one day. Hmm. But in general, our for our culture and our time, initiation rituals for people, marking rites of passage, is fading away, if not entirely faded in some communities. So I didn't have my rite of passage was my yoga practice, going through that you know intensity, channeling the fire of, of myself, rage at social injustice that I experience on a daily basis, uh, this thing and that thing, all that was being channeled, not into like violent acts of outbursts or drugs or something, but was being channeled into the yoga for me. So I approached it like, like the, the penance rite of passage that it was. But then I came out on the other side of that after like 15 years. <laughs> then I came out on the other side of that to a place where I am now where I really enjoy practicing. And I really don't expect much from it. I just, I roll out my mat, regardless of how I feel, whether I feel like it or not. I, I don't care how I feel. I roll out my mat, I stand on it, I chant, and then I begin. And what I get it's not to say I don't give it its due effort. You know, my practice takes a lot of effort. But that effort is being held in the context of appreciating myself, not berating myself for eating the wrong thing or some, some perceived transgression on my own part. So to cycle back, I think, too, a good teacher can, can help do that. Sometimes by indulging you, Sometimes by ignoring you. I think Patabi Joyce was a master at what I called benign neglect. He could he could ignore you for long periods of time very well. Um, and that in and of itself was a deep teaching. <laughs> you know, because so many of us we want validation, we want approval. Say something. It, even if even it, it criticized me even. That's better than silence. Yeah. You know what I mean? But in the silence of yoga practice, right, yoga is, it's very funny that in the, the kind of subtle body anatomy of yoga, the throat chakra, the vishuddhi chakra, the chakra of purification, its element is space and its sense is hearing. Its sense organ is the ears hearing, the sense of hearing, and the element of space. So space and deep listening go hand in hand in yoga. And in moments of deep silence that can be created in a number of ways, you can purify yourself. You know, you can, I, in my experience, you can really be purified by that process. Mm. Um, and it's a very exciting, it's mm. a very exciting thing. And I think on the last day, at the end of my life, I hope to have a good, full life and a good conscious co death where I'm f fully alert. And I think I'll find, as the sutras say, a deep, sense of release 
because I think my practice will have carried me that far. That's the hope, anyway. <laughs> you know. Total liberation. Yeah. Total liberation, which can be experienced here and now. Yeah. You know, and then in a big way, oh, yeah. theoretically, when you die. Hmm. Having having not died recently, <laughs> I can't say for sure. Not yet. But, but I have a good inkling of it. And there were so many great teachers that I know of who have passed away. And their deaths at the end were the beginning of, of something for us. Their end was our beginning. And also for themselves, their transitioning had deep peace around it. Hmm. Um, so I look forward to it. <laughs> One day, coming. Coming soon. Coming not too soon. No. But soon enough for us all. Yes. But soon enough for us all. Wow. Thank you, Ralph. Thank you. Beautiful. So we like to end the podcast with one golden nugget of wisdom. And I was almost thinking, um, could you offer a nugget of wisdom to our listeners that would offer a sense of like a rhetorical question? You know, something mm. for them to look within themselves. Like, I don't know. Usually it's just like insight from someone, mm-hmm. uh, uh, like a golden nugget of, you know, what they're something to take away. But I was thinking, do you have a, a, a golden nugget that's a rhetorical question for us to look within? Golden nugget that is a rhetorical question for us to look at. I would actually, I'd like to quote from my mentor in life. Please. Uh, Daisaku Ikeda, who is the president of the SGI Buddhist organization. And he says something that I come back to again and again at work, on my yoga mat, in my life, definitely in my relationship life, definitely in my family life. He says, never for an instant forget the effort to renew your life, to build yourself anew. Creativity means to push open the heavy, groaning doorway of life itself. This is not an easy task. Indeed, it may be the most severely challenging struggle there is. For opening the door to your own life is in the end more difficult than opening the door to all the mysteries of the universe. Mm. And as I continue to sit with that day after day, year after year, I'm always struck by the truth of that. That even on the yoga mat, you can learn so many things and be in the orbit of so many great teachers. And still, you have to be the one to stand there and begin again. So I think for our listeners, in conclusion, anyway, I hope that you will, all of us will keep practicing. I hope those of us that do not practice will begin to practice. Mm. I hope those of us that are practicing will begin to take the practice to the next level. I hope those of us that don't have teachers will seek out good teachers. I hope those of us that have good teachers will appreciate and make use of those good teachers. And I hope, more importantly, that we'll always take the time to begin again. Mm. Thank you so much. Thank you. Namaste, brother. Namaste. Blessings. 
My friends, this is Alec thanking you for listening to this episode of the Yoga Revealed podcast. If you feel inspired to give Ashtanga Yoga a try and you live in LA, head over to Yoga Works Montana and jump into a Mysore-styled practice with Ralph Craig. He is deeply devoted to sharing this practice with you. If you haven't yet, please leave Yoga Revealed a review on iTunes as it makes a huge difference for us and it helps us keep doing what we love sharing yoga with you on this platform. We are so excited to continue to share inspiring content with you. Thanks for being a part of this online community together. Until next time, practice well and love life. Namaste. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.